इवेंट where a big share of our mind news time was taken by state assembly elections we'll decided that we'll talk about election technology since it was topical and the scale and the size of elections in india is just mind boggling so it was very pertinent and important for us to discuss how india has utilized technology for doing the elections so to facilitate this discussion we have a very special panelist today his name is anirudh anirudh is a graduate from delhi technological university and he also did his mba from iim lucknow what makes him special is that he worked with mr prashant kishore's ipac during the 2017 time frame so he brings with him knowledge of how ipac did the campaigning behind it and he brings his unique viewpoint of how elections were held so that is our guest today 3tb is actually still three people but we do not have sheetal because sheetal is on a vacation so we are one techy short so we kind of anirudh brings in that adds to that third techy of the team so like always what we'll do is we will talk about what kind of technology is used in campaigning what kind of technology is used by the election commission for awareness so from a consumer or voter perspective and we'll talk obviously about the execution part of it and delve into the history of what kind of technology has been used for election execution perspective so without further ado what we'll do is we'll start with our usual paradox for the day from samiran so samiran would have picked some paradox which is relevant to electioneering in india or in general so samiran over to you Thanks Nilesh when i started out i was a little worried that you know how do you find a paradox every time to depict the topic but uh, lo and behold there is actually something called a voting paradox you know and the voting paradox it's actually called the downs paradox and what it says is that basically a rational self interested voter the cost of voting will normally exceed the expected benefits and what this cryptically actually means because that voter is very self centered and wants to do the right rational thing the chance of exercising the pivotal vote which will make a big difference in the outcome is next to zero so therefore what the downs paradox says is that there is an inherent inbuilt disincentive for a rational person to vote which is kind of completely weird that because you don't feel that your vote will make that big difference you don't vote because the cost of that vote is the cost of your going out wasting your time missing work will always be more than that one decisive vote 
So you're voting as yourself. And of course, there is some whole thinking on how, you know, your vote for the mandate and all. And there is a lot of whole interesting psychology of voters and all. But I found this Downs paradox to be completely odd that the frightening thought around this is only irrational people vote. So we are only saying such a paradox exists, just food for thought. So anyway, but coming back to this elections, and obviously we think that we are the most civilized people on earth and we started elections. But if you kind of go back in history, electioneering has actually been there from the ancient Greek times. I mean, kind of if you go back to 500 BC, that's where they had elections. And apparently in the earliest times, it used to be like a negative election that each year voters who were essentially like landowners used to vote for the political leader or the candidate they most wanted to get exiled. So basically, it was a negative vote. So the guy who was least desirable, who we sent away for 10 years, exiled. So that was how voting happened. And it depended on how unpopular you were. And there was some kind of a minimum voting. So voting as a way to democratically decide or come to a collective decision kind of existed from 500 BCs. And then I think the Venetian state in the 13th, 14th century, they started electing their councils. And if you trace the history of elections, first it was, of course, for the privilege, the people, and think of it as the Indian caste system where more upper class would vote. Slowly, slowly, others started getting included, which is also the case in the West. And you will be surprised to know that Switzerland only allowed women to vote somewhere as late as the 1970s. So, you know, we are not really that badly off. We were, women were voting in India much before that. So that's been kind of the trajectory of elections. It's been a story of inclusion that, you know, more and more people have got included. Therefore, more and more people's voice was included. And obviously, one of the big things that also landed up happening is as more people came on, the ability to reach more people and convince more people became very, very important, which therefore led to the use of more and more technology. Now, there was a time, obviously, that you could stand at the town square and just say, vote for me. And everybody who collected said, "Okay, you know, great. This guy is the greatest fellow. We'll vote for him. But as constituencies increased, people increased, candidates increased, that naturally increased the need for technology. And I think that's where people like IPAC have done some deep study. And we know that Prashant Kishore is one of the leading voices and strategists in this field. A lot of what he does is election strategy, election segmentation. And a lot of it is also about technology. So I was just wondering, Anirudh, in your experience with IPAC and obviously without violating any confidentialities because I'm sure you've done some very, very interesting and kufia work with a lot of people. So how is it that political parties use technology? I mean, how is it that they use it for themselves? And how have you seen it from where you were part of this process? So basically, like the first initial stage of our work was to finalize what the campaign is going to be. For that, it was basically going to different districts in the state. You meet people, you understand their pain points, and you come back, you analyze what you have collected, you decide the bullet points of what your campaign is going to be based on. Once that is done, the major challenge is how to get your message across to the maximum number of people. So that is where earlier, which was done through rallies, through massive gatherings on town squares, on huge maidans. Now that has uh, slowly started to be replaced, not completely replaced. There are still roadshows, there are rallies, but now technology has allowed them to go to a more personal level. So what I have seen is parties try to do a voter outreach program in each state, whatever their campaign may be. So their pain point was to first somehow collect the contact information of the voters. So once you have their cell phone numbers, 
it becomes easy to send them campaign points via SMS. During my time in IPAC, the geo revolution still hadn't happened. It was only November 2016 when Mukesh Ambani came out with Reliance Geo and offered internet to the entire Indian population. So till then, what many other parties were doing, in the urban areas, they capitalized on social media. In urban areas, they also capitalized on things like you have crowded regions in the city where people gather for a chai break. Then in the urban areas, there used to be huge LCD, LED screens, which used to light up across the city so that people could directly just see what the campaign is or what each party is promising. And in the rural areas where it was still a bit of a challenge, I've seen parties basically use SMS or IVRS, that's the automated calls. Once they get the contact information, they could easily pass on personalized messages. And this is one thing which I think worked quite well for all political parties across the spectrum because rural people, they value a personal touch more compared to the urban people. Like, fine, we just get the message, it's done. Rural people are still prefer a personal touch more compared to us. So whenever they used to get a personal call, an automated call, which had a recording of a senior party leader, they used to feel senior leadership also cares for us. So that was one major way uh, political parties have used technology now. So they could personally reach across to all their prospective voters. So you know, the, India has kind of different dynamics as far as scale and everything goes. So when you were doing all of this work, I'm sure between your client party as well as yourselves, you all felt that maybe this is a benchmark we should follow. Maybe this is a country that does that it well. Did you find some practices or anything that made you feel that ye karna chahiye? Or did you just find that in India, we have to figure out everything for the first time because nothing matches our complexity? What was it to you? Yeah, so since I was fresh out of engineering college at that time, and it used to be different, ki, huh, 22-year-olds thinking and sitting all like, yeah, we are going to discuss the future of the country's political spectrum. This is how it should be done. So we used to just sit down and discuss that what we are doing, is it the best way or can it be done in a more better way? For example, if we used to discuss, like the first thing we discussed, the first country we took as a benchmark was the country which we take as a benchmark for everything, the United States. So then we realized the US still follows a paper ballot system, majorly a paper ballot system, because somehow they were untouched by the phenomenon of booth capturing or something like that, but it works. Here we have seen this rampant booth capturing happen, especially in states like UP, Bihar, and even Maharashtra's. There are people who a bit on the anti-social side of the uh, legal spectrum. So they used to indulge in all sorts of malpractices. So I think the EVM, which our election commission introduced, was a major leap forward as far as election technologies or election administration technologies go. And this can also be bolstered by the fact that I recently read an article, our ECI election commission, it conducts an international election visitors program. And it conducted the same in this year only just now while the last phase of UP elections were going on. So there actually 150 delegates from countries like Australia, South Korea, Japan, all these major democracies, they came to oversee our election processes. They were shown recordings of how voting happens in our regions. So we India is such a complex nation, be it in terms of geography, be it in terms of culture, in terms of thought process of voters. So what happens in US might not work directly in India. McDonald's also had to bring Mekalu Tikki to So it was never going to be that any country's practice would directly be implemented here. 
So we have kind of, just like our constitution took the best bits and pieces from the other constitutions of the world, our election process has also, I believe, taken some of the best practices and implemented one of their own in terms of EVM, which has made elections much more transparent than they used to be back in the day. So I have to jump in here. I mean, it's so true, Aniru. Last time we spoke, I searched a bit and I found out that even in the last elections in US, 70% was actually paper. The only difference being the paper ballot is scanned. So it's like standardized tests. So you have a circle and you do a black mark. And only 30% is actually electronic voting in some shape or form. So you are so right. And on the other side, very interesting fact was that India is like 100% EVMs, except the ones which are like specially done for armed forces, where there is a electronic ballot, something called a technology whereby they can do it remotely, but for very limited set. We are like completely in EVM. And I was reading about this whole booth capturing. So, So you are so right. Even EVM as is would not have been implemented in India. So EVM, it seems, the Indian EVM has a mechanism whereby you cannot do more than five votes per minute, if I'm not mistaken. So what happens is that even if you have to do booth capturing, you will have to do it for a longer period of time for it to make any difference. Because if you are only able to do five votes in a minute, then in an hour you're talking of, you know, 16 to 5, about 300 votes. By that time, someone will land up. So I found it very interesting that today in various shapes and forms, election fraud has been taken care by this EVM. And when you add the VVPAT to it, you know, the voter verified paper audit trail. So VVPAT, what that does is, and that was also mind boggling, that five booths per assembly case, their manual counting happens of these VVPATs. And till now, Election Commission has not seen a single mismatch. So you have this whole audit. If you have 1 million booths, then almost 20,000 will also have manual counting of VVPATs. And there was not a single mismatch. So I have something to be proud of. So very right in that sense, Anil. So in fact, they are very responsive. So, you know, this is, of course, very cool technology. I was very surprised to suddenly see the news that they have CCTV cameras where the ballot boxes or whatever the EVMs are kept. And all parties... There is a screen outside and all parties are staring at it. So, of course, you know, there is that little bit of lack of trust. Somebody feels somebody's going to do something. But you have to admire the responsiveness of the election authority that says, okay, you know, there is lack of trust. I'm going to put a CCT camera. All of you sit and watch. You watch each other and you watch the EVM. So we know that nothing's going to happen. So you have to really admire the ingenuity, responsiveness and I guess to a certain extent that their whole spirit of upholding the democracy as a higher ideal, you know, it is kind of quite commendable, this thing. So, Anirudh, you know, you mentioned about IPAC and the way campaigning happened from a party perspective, right? So if I look at IPAC as a technology company, let's put it that way, and uh, your customer is actually a party, right? So essentially, you are working for the party. And in this case, the work is actually campaigning in different shapes and forms. So when we talk of campaigning tech, obviously, Obama is someone who completely revolutionized, you know, 2008 elections. He was the underdog and the kind of things, not just underdog, I think even his message was so cliched, but it was delivered so beautifully. So change as a message is truly cliched, right? I mean, becoming a change right from Gandhiji's days. 
But when you look at that campaign, the delivery of message was one aspect, but Web 2.0 made a huge difference. I mean, he just revolutionized it, embraced it. And what I found out was he himself was not a very big social influencer at that time. So when I say social influencer means he did not really have a following on MySpace or Facebook or Twitter, but he embraced this part. Now, by the time you started working with IPAC, do you believe that from a technology perspective, the playing field had leveled because everyone had figured it out by then or there was some difference? So like that's the thing, technological platforms that were available at that time, as I said, since social media was there, but it was mostly confined to the urban spheres during my time at IPAC. Now, post-geo, it's available everywhere. Now, people in the remotest parts of the country will have a stable internet connection. They know what Facebook is. They know even what Instagram is. But the point is that now even people in the supposed uh, backward regions of the country, so to speak, those who do not have as much resources as the urban counterparts, they too know what social media is. But uh, again, since it's social media, it's available for everyone. Like the same platform is available for all the parties. So technologically, the playing field is leveled for everyone now. It's just how efficiently capitalize on those tools to get your message across, to get your point across. And that's where I think Barack Obama's campaign came in. And that's where I think the leader, your party leader, your main guy comes in. Because earlier, I think during Pandit Nehru's time, it was not you are voting for a particular, for Pandit Nehru. You had people in the regional areas who were powerful as well, who were important in their own respective spheres. So that time, the people used to have local preferences also. They'll be like, okay, in Tamil Nadu, we have Mr. K. Kamraj and he is our leader, so we'll vote for him. It wasn't Nehruji who was being projected as the national leader. Now the game has changed. Now you have one central figure who is the most important part. You all have the same technological tools available to them. It's how efficiently your message and your leader gets your message across. Because as we were discussing, we still call it Barack Obama's campaign. It's not called the Democratic campaign. It's not called the Republican campaign. It's called Barack Obama's campaign. Barack Obama said, yes, we can. To 2014, we had Abkibar Modi Sargar. It was not Abkibar Bhajpa Sargar. So that factors in a very crucial way to the whole campaign. You can have all technology at your disposal if your leader is not someone who connects with the masses, who connects with the people who gets to tug at their heartstrings. No amount of technology, I believe, will be able to counter that. Excellent point. So Anirudh, if I had to summarize the campaigning tech part, election technology in campaigning is now a level playing field. Everyone has access to everything. You're absolutely right. And no one is unaware. I mean, it was available even during Obama's time, but he used it. And because of that, now everyone uses it. So that part is given. Once technology is given, then comes, if it is a level playing field, the difference is probably the leader, how people connect to him and the message. Right. So do you have a coherent message which everyone can connect with? And obviously the leader part, you very classically mentioned Abkibar Modi Sarkar, the leader becomes important. You also mentioned something about, so if I had to percolate it, so you have message, you have leader, you have technology. You also spoke something about the ground level you know, work. And I read some bit of it, even in a Obama campaign, I think the last mile, or you can say feet on the street, also kind of made a difference. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, so that actually comes in handy in the rural areas of India as far as India is concerned because and India is still primarily a more rural based country because we still have around 69% of people living in the 
rural areas of the country. Only 30-31% of our population resides in cities. So when you have such a large chunk of people residing in rural areas, then that personal outreach, that last mile door-to-door outreach becomes very important because like I mentioned previously, the rural people prefer a more personal touch. They want to see that their leaders care enough for them to, you know, reach them personally with their message. So that's, I think, where a lot of difference can happen. You can have uh, similar campaigns even on social media, but if your party people can go and reach as many people as they can personally through their karyakartas or through their loyalists who are present in every region, that will make a huge impact outside of the technological part we are discussing. And that also plays a very, very important role because in rural areas, people still have that sort of time, right? In cities, we might not have that much time. We are like, okay, our work starts and we are occupied till late in the night. So we don't have time. Even if someone comes to our door, we'll be like, samaj gaya, we know. We know who's standing here. We know kisko vote So in rural areas, that's not the case. In fact, in rural areas, I witnessed the complete opposite. People were willing to discuss, like, for example, if I was going to some place and I was carrying a certain message from the party we were campaigning for. So people would actually make me sit down and discuss their points and counterpoints. They'll be like, but why not this? Why are you campaigning on this? Why are you not campaigning on this? Why are you bringing this leader? So they had the time and they had the enthusiasm, the curiosity to just sit and discuss this personally on a more personal level. So that's why that last mile connect works uh, wonders for anyone who's trying to make a difference here. That really tells you that the Indian population in general is probably much more politically aware and politically involved. I mean, we can always see that they just love to gossip. I mean, that's one way of looking at it. But the fact that, you know, people seem to want to talk and that does make a difference ultimately, right? I mean, is that what you have found that the issues that they bring up or that if you respond to it, then there is a positive impact or is it a sign of awareness or what is good for them? Yeah, that's the thing. Like one major eye-opening thing for me during my time at IPAC was that the Indian population has been, uh, I don't know why it has been unfortunately labeled as, oh, this is mob mentality, they will just vote for anything or they are persuaded very easily. The Indian voter, I believe, is very, very smart. He is quite intelligent. He knows what matters to me or what matters for my family. So I think it's quite ignorant to paint everyone as you like, huh, we'll just dangle one issue and get everyone to vote for us and yeah and go. If they are saying that people will vote only based on caste or only based on religion, that's not true. People actually want their, because at the end of the day, they want to live a better life. Like if I'm sitting in a village, they'll ask questions on MSP. They'll ask questions on what will your party do? What will your party, if it comes to power, what are they going to do about irrigation? What are they going to do about power? How much electricity are we going to get? We are getting only six hours today. Why are we not getting, say, 10 hours? Why are we not getting 12 hours? It's on top of that, then other, those caste and religion, all those fault lines come in. But basically, at the end of the day, the voters do want that kind of change. And if you try to communicate that message, they will engage with you on it. It's not going to just fly by and be like, we don't want to give it to your party, even though you say you'll bring irrigation, we'll only vote for them. That's not the case. That's At least that's not the case what I saw. And I believe that's what my friends also observed. People are actually genuinely want their standard of living to improve. I think the Indian voter is just a bit unfortunate on the types of candidate they get. They want to vote. 
for someone better they just don't have the option can you tell me in terms of maybe an episode or an anecdote or something that really left a lasting impression on you during your experience that you know this is a example of what we are trying to do with voting or something really ridiculous i mean like in the world of memes literally like was there anything like that in your experience that really stuck in your head that you know this is like something that if i don't remember anything in my experience and i pack i'll definitely remember this or this person or this incident or this visit to this town this city or whatever i think it'll be difficult for me to pinpoint on one incident the <laughs> entire experience was such a change for someone who has been born and brought up in delhi throughout his life and that was the first time i actually had to go visit the rural parts of the country so like i was in the districts in eastern up mostly first of all starting with my on field implementation work so there you will see all kinds of people from all walks of life i think what stayed with me during that time was like how people used to connect based on you know the issues like there were many times when we used to have local leaders give some kind of a speech to the people in their constituencies so during those different kinds of speech i used to sit there i used to see what was happening i used to see the reception the crowd was giving to that particular leader and one very important thing i noticed was that whenever if the leader was just talking about one central figure or one of their party leaders or something or something or something that has been done someplace else people used to sit people used to be disinterested and they just used to be like looking at their phone or something like that or talking on their phone they weren't completely involved the moment the leader switched the local leader switched to something which was issue pertinent to them the drastic change in their involvement the drastic change in their connect during that same event it was happening it was so visible so i was quite surprised ki theek hai we used to think that people can just come on the stage blab about for 15 20 minutes and then walk off but the moment they started speaking on topics which were pertinent to the local population they started getting up and started asking questions as well so that's what actually changed my opinion of the rural voters because as city folk we have been fed this notion ki are the rural folk will just be persuaded they can be swayed very easily and they'll just vote for anyone so this was one very eye opening fact which has stayed with me till now which has actually restored my faith in the indian electorate very interesting points anirudh so the biggest takeaway for me hearing about campaigning tech would be that indian voter is discernible right the playing field has leveled voter is discernible so your points that differentiate you really are still the leader message and feet on street and how you connect with the populace maybe now we'll move to a bit on the execution side uh, you know so what is the technology available on execution or you know holding of elections and in that i think i'll not go into the details of history but you know we have moved from a hand counted to mechanical levers to punch cards uh, scanned ballot to what we have in india today which is electronic voting machine in this section before we start you know the 2019 elections when i actually reviewed the numbers make me so proud of election commission of india that it's just mind boggling 2019 was highest voter turnout in the history of indian elections we i think did 67 plus percent voting 900 million registered voters so you are talking of 600 million votes being cast 
so this is like the third most populous country itself right so no other country even with 100% voting could reach this number it was just mind boggling so on the execution front what i felt was that like you mentioned anirudh i think probably other countries can learn a lot from us there is really everything has been done and just to give you some facts i mean amazing you know the world's highest polling booth is in india which is at 15000 plus feet above the sea level it is in himachal pradesh and polling was held then i read interesting fact that you know the polling officials for ladakh were airdropped and had to do a one day trek to reach a village to get their votes it is just fantastic stories and mind boggling there are two places where polling official went to get one vote the one was in arunachal and other was in gujarat in deep gir forest so it is the scale and the execution i'll say is probably 8 on 10 when it comes to when i look at 2019 elections completely electronic negligible or nil fraud i mean samiran any thoughts anything on the execution side i mean i was no, baffled no no and in fact you are absolutely right and anything you do in india is the scale is just so crazy i mean whether you take the polio vaccine you know thing was like something which is like a worldwide case study after whatever blips and this things we had you see vaccination you know it is just mind boggling that how many people we have vaccinated and just like your story of the you know 1% i am sure there are n number of stories of all these women who used to go out to vaccinate people you know i've at least seen pictures of people going on boats and people trekking and people finding people where all and doing it so i think into that extent it is like just completely mind boggling so what is like the next holy grail of electioneering i mean from the party side of like you know what is it that we are looking forward to like we seem to be reaching lot of people we seem to be getting as many people as we can to vote so what are we looking forward to like you know what's the next big thing that we as a country are striving for maybe from the party side but more maybe from the election machinery side what is it that we are trying to do here so maybe my thoughts would be you know firstly to just kind of take stock of what are the areas where election commission from a execution machinery can improve or look forward to so when i look at your the whole advocacy and education i think 2019 elections people have cracked it it was amazing if there are top three things that they need to do one is obviously advocacy the whole execution and then the idea that there shouldn't be any fraud and the whole you know calculation of votes and stuff like that in that segment i think advocacy education is taken care the reaching people part i think with whatever technology is available today i think we have done a great job of reaching as many individuals as possible so 67% is a testament to that fact when you look at details you will see that in 2019 elections a lot was done for persons with disability right so the polling booths were designed in a way and we have to take it in context of india where indian cities are not really very friendly to person with disabilities but this was one of the things that was taken care of right and mm-hmm. and free rides to people and so many things to ensure that people reach the booth so now that execution part so advocacy as i said is done taken care education is done the execution part i think the one thing that comes to my mind is only the remote voting facility right so if i had to say that you know what is left to do now is that india has a huge migrant population 
India has students who are studying in different cities. When you look at even tech folks, like people like us, we will end up flocking to the tech cities and we may not be really, it may not be our birthplace or we may not be domiciled there, right? So you have this huge population. How do you ensure that they get their vote in? Is one of the things I think on the execution side, I think, uh, which probably we have to look at. Anirudh, any thoughts you feel? Yeah, you very rightly mentioned Many of my college friends have also moved on to Bangalore or Hyderabad. So their votes in any election of their home state are right now by default, they just can't vote. So their votes just get neglected. Even if they want to, it's very difficult to just take a break for one day and travel from, say, Bangalore to UP or Bangalore to Gujarat or Bangalore to Delhi and then cast a vote. So remote voting is one area which should obviously be focused on. And I think we are at a stage where we can focus very well on that part. And we can also, I believe, focus on getting, like, for example, if there is, we were talking about the advocacy part. So right now, many a times, each party, they finalize a very lengthy manifesto because they have to cover a lot of points for different kinds of people. So no common man or woman has the time to read the entire thing. What I think can be done, which may additionally help in increasing the voter turnout is a kind of a hyper-personalization of the campaign messages being put across via different platforms on social media. So what can be done is if you have an entire manifesto, you can just segment it into different parts. You can have a part which is focused more on this particular region or this particular age group. And you can target those voters better using social media now with those main pain points. So they can be made aware of what the party is bringing. So if they feel that, yes, this party is going to work on these points which are directly applicable to me, which are relatable to me now, so I'd like to go and vote for that party, which can actually change the stance of some people from indifferent to more excited or uh, enthused for voting. Other than that, I think, yeah, the remote voting has to be implemented now because there's a large chunk of people who have migrated from their home state to different lucrative professional areas. So their votes should also be factored in for their home state. So remote voting, along with hyper-personalization of your campaign, can actually work wonders going forward. So very interesting. And on remote voting, I just realized, I mean, even NRIs, right? There's, there's a huge non-resident population also who may be interested. But on hyper-personalization, one question, Anirudh, when hyper-personalization, first thing that comes to my mind is AI, right? I mean, forget uh, elections. When you are looking at even e-commerce, you are saying that, you know, I want to literally target to one person. That is hyper-personalization. So if I'm targeting a product, it has to one person, one product can I target. You know? And that needs some sort of machine learning AI stuff. Have you seen that already put to use in some shape or form? Not in election campaigns till now, because as I mentioned, during my time, even the internet was not available to everyone in the country. But now it's been so long since Geo was introduced. It's been so long since a huge chunk of our population got on the internet. And the amount of data we consume, I think that's one of the main reasons why each big tech company is in a mad rush to capture the Indian market, because they know the kind of data they can consume, a behavior data they can acquire. So that has not been seen till now. But I believe that will be seen much more prominently going forward because that's like the only logical step to take now. You have broader reach has been covered. It's done. It's down pat. You have your elections. You have election rallies. You have your road shows. You have your town meetings. 
it's now just going to get more and more personal how we can reach each and every individual voter the e-commerce firms have mastered it completely i think i've lost count of the number of times i've searched a product on google and i receive a notification from amazon oh you might be interested in this product so it's only a matter of time the political parties also hop on that thing very true but on remote voting facilities some of the things which i already read which are work in progress not even going futuristic as of now in realm of possibilities one thing i really liked was uh, and i don't know whether you have heard about it so they are going to try and link aadhar with the electoral cards and what first step they are trying to do is that at least you don't have to vote in your domicile state or region so because aadhar being updated regularly will take care of the fact where you are living and then how you link it so possibly people who have now moved to bangalore or hyderabad for work from their native places they can still vote in bangalore or hyderabad which i think is doable but one step that part probably if they are doing some pilots and all and idea is that it has to come into picture by 2024 that is what i have read thereby aadhar becomes your core identity which is true today right samiran any thoughts on what are the gaps left to be filled i won't say so much of a gap but more like if we carry this thing forward in terms of the remote voting and the ability to give everyone a way to participate wherever they are i think we could soon move to a situation like where in the smaller european states they are able to do referendums for important issues you know as opposed to just letting the politicians decide so i mean obviously they should decide and they should have the freedom but if it's things which have national ramifications or if in things would like to have a voice in you could actually then run a referendum which you can hope to cover a large part of the population in because now if you can vote therefore you can participate and i'm assuming that that will not happen through evms you know there will be some internet interface which will be blockchain based linked to your aadhar there will be maybe there will be some biometric and you know there'll be three four things that will work together to make it very unique so i think just in the interest of greater democracy i feel that you know once we are able to do that we will have a much much more participative government and all those people who are sitting in villages and who are just discussing will now be empowered to vote it's like pretty much think of it like a survey monkey thing comes and you say okay you know i want to do this and whether right or wrong at least you know you are participating and that is getting tabulated somewhere and somebody somewhere says okay you know 90% of the population feels that we should not do something or do something so i think that is very very powerful so are you saying samiran the web 3.0 is going to be the differentiator now <laughs> no no definitely see i think in spirit while i think everybody talks about and web 3 has become a bit of a funding gimmick also but i think in its philosophy the fact that it is allowing for decentralized control of your actions i mean i think web 3 has got its heart in the right place so it is a technology which is at the right place right time because of the dissatisfaction with big tech blah blah whatever but i think yes the short answer is definitely i think it's probably going to be one of the technologies that will be leveraged very heavily uh, what shape it will take of course time will tell but i think it's definitely a way to go so i think what i have heard and i think there was a call for ideas and thoughts around election some time back i'm forgetting what it was called and under that you know people could give their viewpoints and ideas about voting execution technology kind of stuff and i think iit madras has done some interesting work it is still a work in uh, progress yes, yes. 
where uh, what you mentioned samir and you know the web 3.0 is really become a reality they are very optimistic that they will be able to implement this in some shape or form by the 2024 election i mean i don't know if it will be nationwide or whether it will be certain sections of the population but even if they roll that out it will be a big big step but we are already in 2022 and if they can do it by 24 you know we think it's far away but it's really not and these things take time and if they are able to get that on the road it will be a big thing in that sense you know i have always felt the countries which start late in a certain technology bandwagon end up leapfrogging the pioneers and this again maybe a case in point so when i look at the whole mobile revolution today the kind of networks and the kind of even in payment technology and stuff that we have in india is way ahead of even us i mean it's way ahead of us europe because even though we started late we were not encumbered by the baggage of past true. technology so similarly true. i think i have a great hope that probably india may be the first country will end up using web 3.0 and you know they are targeting 2024 and it is very interesting it is going to be a blockchain based solution it is going to be biometric driven it will be scoring biometrics though but the idea is that you have aadhar and you have biometrics so so you identify the voter and it is immutably stored and hence mm. uh, the domicile is irrelevant i mean where you are born and where you are today doesn't matter so again i am not sure whether it will happen in 2024 but i have a feeling that probably india would be the first one to get it done at least at scale i mean when you put the word at scale against anything so yes. you can be sure we are the first excellent anirudh any thoughts on future of election tech yeah i think one point which you have been mentioning i think the only kind of a minor obstacle i can find is that right now the evm that we have the one of the major pitch points of that product is that it is not connected to the internet in any form and that's why people kind of trust it more because it cannot be hacked the thing is we have kind of a divide where we have some of the most tech savvy people we have some of the most skilled people who can develop this technology it's one major challenge which i feel will be to convince the majority of the population that this thing is secure because right now when the whole halabalu regarding evm started they said ki this cannot be hacked because this is not on any network at all this is a standalone each evm is a standalone device when the entire web 3.0 is inculcated into elections i think then the onus will be on the election commission to put this message across ki it is still secure and your votes will be secure and it will actually enhance your voting experience or it will make it more convenient so that will be an interesting thing to see going forward because if we are going the personalization route in every sphere of life elections will not be far behind and this will be a parallel walk the kind of technology being developed and its merits and its safety features being conveyed to everyone in the country so that people are not skeptical and they just don't feel like voting that should also not happen so these two side by side as samiran mentioned ki it might be as a pilot project now because it will take time it will take time for people to believe in this kind of a thing and believe in actually the safety of this kind of thing because right now they feel ki their vote has value they don't want anything to tamper with that they don't want that thing ki are hack okay my vote can be changed so those two things again the advocacy part which we have done till now we'll have to start from scratch so it will be a very interesting thing elections in india anyways are an absolute carnival so on this very carnivaly note <laughs> i think we we can obviously go on talking about this on the merits on the potential as well as just talk about fascinating case studies on how we have done thing right but i think this uh, brings us to the end of 
another episode. Uh, we kind of did with election technology and we consciously chose to do it after the elections because we didn't want it to become a source of any kind of controversy. Do tune in to listen to our show. We are available on all major platforms. If you're on Apple, then do leave us a review. It helps our show grow. We've also put a link in our description which allows you to record your feedback. There's also an email ID which you can write into. We really, really look forward to hearing from you. We are also moving to a fortnightly format now because we believe that you know that's the time it takes people to listen assimilate and give feedback if you believe that that's something you would like us to do or you are in support do let us know thank you again very much for tuning in until the next time thank you <laughs>